0: Really early. It's a nefarious time of the morning, Sunday, day of rest. But God has no place here.
1: <laughs> I've tried to make this uh a lot more cozy for us by lighting candles, but it's a bit I'm, dark in here. I'm horrendously worried that we're gonna set this on fire.
0: Oh what mm-hmm.
1: I'm trying to we're second episode in and I'm already trying to put some passion back into this.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah if you like. <laughs> Um, but we do have our Dark Arts coffee
1: absolutely here with us. That was not so subtle, not nearly as subtle as this blend.
0: No, if they if, for that sponsorship, if they want me <laughs> to speak about them every five minutes, not even a subtle product placement, I'm I'm willing to to sell out.
1: They're going like to have to that. pay the big bucks.
0: Oh, they don't have to pay. <laughs> I literally just want it in coffee. coffee. Um, but we're drinking... It's the coffee, greatest though. currency of all. It is, isn't it? Um, it uh, costs more than gold.
1: Yeah, so I heard.
0: Uh, I did make that up. But... No, no. I think it has... I assume that it could.
1: No, I think it has the equivalent worth of of not being far off from what gold is.
0: And if that's the case, Dark Arts Coffee is it's, a few bloody gold bars. It's
1: the 24-carat it, gold.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we're drinking Oklahoma, aren't we? And it's very delicious. I've got a sweet
1: prince at home. Um, but but yeah. you are the coffee aficionado. Have I actually brewed this correctly? Because I'm worried it's it's a bit too weak.
0: No, it's cleaner. Yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you're you're you usually cook it on a open flame
1: with my up on.
0: With your percolator. Mm. Um, I just think it burns it. Yeah. I I'm not discrediting your no, coffee fine. making. It's all right. Um, but yeah, just so could be done better. A lie.
1: All right. Oh, starting off strong then. So welcome back everyone to the X in Ferris podcast. This is a podcast all about heavy metal. My name is Matthew, and with me as always is my co host, Mr. Tom Watson. And that's our car's coffee it tastes really good. Yeah. How you been, Tom?
0: Um, I've been existing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have you found a new lease on life since you started this podcast?
0: A new one. Yeah. I'm just trying to find our one.
1: Are you getting recognised in the street? Uh,
0: no, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because um, despite the fact that we haven't promoted the first episode properly yet, um, we did within that um, closing segment um, suggest that people have a look for us, uh, Google search us, uh, have a look on our Instagram. Uh, our twitter account which is uh believe non-existent um <laughs> no, and I there think is I did absolutely one. no content on the instagram page oh yeah it exists it exists we, we are following 50 accounts
1: we have <laughs> zero followers yeah well you got to get your foot in the door haven't you so yeah
0: getting a foot in the door yeah. to an empty room
1: <laughs> speaking of it well i feel like this podcast has enriched my life to some extent um which happened yesterday but it also absolutely ruined it and i hold you fully responsible.
0: I really I'm really looking forward to this. I so I did have a bad day. So
1: so yesterday i was in a premier record shop Crypt of the Wizard Oh um, yeah, which is in Hackney. If anyone hasn't been there before, I strongly recommend you go. There's absolutely some amazing records down there. Uh, it's not only records,
0: but they also sell um, dark, arts, dark arts coffee. Good,
1: that's a nice handbrake turn into that. <laughs> uh, so whilst I was there, I did in fact pick up some dark arts coffee. But not only did that, but uh, not only did I do that, but I also stumbled across a record from a band that we talked about last week. So, if you haven't listened to the episode last week, I strongly insist that you do. Uh, so, during my time there, I managed to find a Pestilence record.
0: Oh, yeah? Um, which
1: so, one? Uh, so, it was Malleus Maleficarum, oh, okay. which their uh, first record. Yeah. So, it was the first time I'd taken my bike out since October. i just got it serviced. It cost me nearly £100 to do. And as I was cycling back, the bag that... Held both the coffee and the record, slipped down my arm, went into the spokes of my front wheel, oh, and literally sent me over the top of my handlebars. How was the record? Into- it was fine. Oh, that was genuinely, Few. genuinely the first thing that I checked was the record because I would have been fucking pissed. Uh, however, when I then started off, I then realised that both of my, uh, both of my wheels had buckled.
0: So the service was.
1: Void. null and void yeah. yeah so i spent nearly 100 pounds getting that up to scratch mm. and now i had to spend an extra 50 pounds oh in order God. to get the wheels changed so you I that's hold a you,
0: sobering story <laughs> isn't it i can imagine you just like hobbling back to the
1: bike shop i did wander off whilst listening to johnny cash's cover of her <laughs> 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 very sad <laughs> Uh, should we talk about some,
0: some hot topics, hot topics, Yeah. takes and some hot topics? Picks. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, it's the news. Um, do you want to do your first or should I start? No, you go. Okay. Have you heard about a death metal drummer called Jacob, uh, Lowenstein or Lowenstein recently?
1: I have no idea who that okay, is.
0: Okay, so he is the drummer for bands like Igni and Oblivion Dawn and Secularity.
1: Mm, so uh, no idea.
0: That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's a metal podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Fucking poser. Um, so he's been charged with setting fire to two Mormon churches. Um, Mormon
1: churches? Mormon. Mormon? Yeah. So not just your standard Christian fair. No, they,
0: this is like the real deal.
1: This is the postmodern church burnings of our time. Yeah,
0: they probably have what? Wi-Fi <laughs> and everything. Um, but he's burnt one in um Upper Rickerton and then uh, one in Christchurch.
1: Oh, yeah, right.
0: Um, so he's arrested and appeared in court via audio visual link. Who's probably busy. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> He was charged with two counts of arson and one of unlawfully taking a vehicle. Uh, The Daily Herald reported this within a weekend. It was last weekend that two churches in Orem, Utah were also set ablaze by this 18 year old uh, called uh, Gillian Nicole Robinson, who also wrote Satan lives on the door of at least one of the churches. Okay. But apparently... It wasn't triggered by Satanism whatsoever. He said, I felt like playing with fire because of my crazy life at home. This was not a hate crime. No,
1: but it's fucking stupid. No, you can rebrand it whatever you want to rebrand it Yeah.
0: So it looks like church burning is... Is back in. It's in in. vogue. Yeah, it's trendy.
1: Yeah. It's trending. It's like those... Tash Hag. 90s platform shoes. They're back in. Buffaloes,
0: yeah, <laughs> they are they are expensive. And what? How much are they? Uh, in the hundreds.
1: Fuck yeah, yeah. There's so many stupid like fashion statements that come and go, and none of them are cheap. And I assume, obviously, it's because they got a profit off it whilst they can. But I just I don't even have enough money to live. Like I mean, this. I'm
0: not gonna shit. Cramp on your style or anything, Matt. I mean,
1: you, I have been rocking you the denim clothes. jacket Yeah you since I was 16. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: that thing is.
1: <laughs> I have one that's falling apart. It's the only piece of it's the only piece of clothing that, if I lost, mm. I would be genuinely crushed. I mean, you're not a fashionista. No, so have you seen me? Don't take yeah. a picture of me. Don't don't show these people how I live. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so following that, we have the announcement that tool are apparently releasing a new record. Uh, I don't know how genuine this is because they've been suggesting that they're going to release a record for... Well, I mean, the last record came out like 13 years ago, which was yeah. 10,000 Days, which, I don't know, You are you interested in hearing another tall record?
0: I am, uh, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the last record. 10,000 Days. No, um, f- of... St- what they called circle
1: perfect circle, perfect
0: circle. Yeah. sorry um let me just say it again it sounds unfair, yeah um i wasn't a biggest fan of a perfect circle's last record it was a little bit too erratic a little bit too uh, animated maybe okay for me uh, but i am actually very intrigued to listen to a new tool record I'd, i think it would be silly to just ignore something it. like this
1: mm. But, I mean, everyone's been going on about this for ages. It's metal's um, real Chinese democracy, isn't it? The, the way that they announced this is they just updated a bunch of their cover photos on all their major social media <laughs> websites just with, uh, just with the tall logo, with the Roman numerals, M-M-X-I-X. Which,
0: which is, is uh, 2019.
1: We nice, well done. We're not the only ones who are impatient because apparently he... Also feels that. About his impatience, he said, It's a balance. You have to understand what has to be done. There are certain things you have to push and certain things you have to get through. Shoveling through the snow on the driveway so you can get to where you need to be. And then you go and enjoy a movie and relax with your friends. But I can't do that until we've put the work in. Which means nothing. He's, I have no idea what he's trying to get at.
0: He's still shoveling that snow. So, yeah. Wow. So what it seems whilst it's supposed to be coming out in 2019. Apparently. That reassuring whatsoever
1: well he's spending ages writing nonsensical quotes so my second piece um is related to another band who kind of made their name in the early 2000s which is um static x so
0: bizarrely cropped up last week as
1: well yeah uh, they they're making a resurgence so essentially last week uh static x announced tour dates mark the 20th anniversary of their album wisconsin death trip uh i don't think anyone would have had that in their calendar. (laughs) Um, so they posted a teaser for this, um, tour and it was quite contentious and came into quite a lot of flack from their fans because it actually featured, um, someone wearing a Wayne static mask. Oh, so with hair. Yeah. With, with the, with the crazy something about Mary hair. um, so as it turns out, it looks like they're going to have a vocalist on tour. Obviously,
0: wearing a, a Wayne Static mask. Wearing a
1: Wayne Static mask. That
0: is mental. It's
1: crazy. Oh my. Um, God. So yeah. So they're looking to. I think it's a. I think it's about a month's worth of touring. Um, so currently, the band is uh, comprised of uh, Tony Campos, uh, Koichi. Fukada and Ken J uh, and they reunited in October last year for a new album titled Project Regeneration which is essentially a bunch of songs that Wayne Static wrote in mm. 2014 and they're going to profit off it because there's nothing more well, in better taste than yeah blind profiteering is, off the dead it does
0: seem a bit tasteless however at the same time I'm sure Wayne Static I mean who who wrote those songs in the first place would at least like them to be out in the public domain
1: is this as bad as say Tupac at Coachella the holograms
0: no I that was for me that was I thought really just like completely tactless
1: the Um, Tupac yeah Mm. Um,
0: and I think if we looked back at the footage of that now it would also look pretty dated whereas you know, an actual mask. It's just—it's it's it's weird. Not, yeah, it's not but, going to erode uh, so quickly over time. But then a month is a long time.
1: So about it, the band say this is the Wisconsin Death Trip 20th anniversary tour. Therefore, these events are 100% about nostalgia—nostalgia uh, nostalgia for everyone involved. This was not about uh, setting the tone for the future or putting a new face mm, to the band uh, or establishing a new identity for Static X and you're going to see a bit of a theme arise from this. This is about experiencing the vibes of old school Static X shows live and loud 20 years later while we honour our dear friend Wayne Static. The search for a touring vocalist for Static X was not an easy one. First, we wanted to keep the continuity that Static X has always had on stage. It's always been and four guys. The idea of wearing a mask would allow him the freedom to get lost in the vibe of Static X and to completely disconnect from his own identity and ultimately serve Static X better. God. So they do refer to themselves in the third person quite yeah, a lot. Yeah. So what your take? what's your take um, on that?
0: Firstly, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, secondly imagine auditioning to be in static x i don't know why who would be auditioning to be in static x um and then going through all the motions and and then at the end they're like that was great thank you very much and you sound a lot like him but you don't Mm. look (laughs)
1: like him can we just um just just holding this thing up again shaking (laughs) hands up against his face I can
0: imagine as well, like that scene, Jim Carrey in the mask. He's the, last <laughs> time, the mask on for the first time he starts spinning around. Uh, finally, um, to tie in with this week's topic, Finnish black metal band Horner. Hmm. Um, they have been, their show, I, think, I believe they've been trying to tour around America at the moment, and uh, a number of their shows have been cancelled. Uh, in certain venues and cities from Brooklyn to Oakland. Uh, They've elected not to host the band in light of suspected connections to Nazism and that much loved. I don't
1: think it's necessarily suspected, though, is it? Well,
0: it's very... It's their suspected connection to um, NSBM. Mm. Uh, So the the last venue that they were... uh, dejected from i guess you could call that uh not because they haven't been ejected because they couldn't even make it there it was uh denver's high dive bar uh and that was on thursday uh, just gone uh so they have a suspected connection to the national socialist black metal uh genre um probably not the subgenre you want your influences to stem from Mm. Again, yeah. that rehearsal space like, oh, it <laughs> sounds really, really good. And, like, oh, what are our influences? Because bands, when they start out, they always start thinking, like, who do we want to sound like? And someone just crops up and just goes, I don't really care as long as it's NSBA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's a political, uh, political philosophy within the black metal music that pr- promotes Nazism or similar ideologies. Um, but the bands sort of overtly denies Nazi ties. Um, but this is
1: not the first instance of this happening. So last year I think it was TAG T yeah. is it TAC or T
0: A A K E. Yeah. Do you
1: say TAC or TAG?
0: I say TARC.
1: TAG. So they had exactly the same problem. And I so think it was in be very wrong. Uh, yeah. I think it was in Canada that they um Yeah. Yeah. So they that. essentially got booted out of a bunch of venues Mm. and everyone is kind of just blaming uh antifa um which is uh the anti-fascists yeah well they've also been
0: targeted um for disrupting uh shows Mm. uh, recently as well like um a number of marduk um did you say Marduk or Marduk? Marduk. <laughs> a number of Marduk. I just want to sound, yeah. A number of Marduk shows were cancelled because of um, Antifa uh, protests.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing is, is that I don't know whether, because uh, the people who are cancelling it aren't necessarily the promoters. It appears to be the actual venues involved. Yeah. So I don't think these venues are actually clued into what these bands that they're putting on are involved in. Um,
0: Mm, yeah but that makes us sound like we're empathizing with the nsbm
1: no absolutely not i think that the um i think that antifa have an absolute responsibility to bring this Mm. to light Mm. um and yeah i but that's the thing is i don't think these venues are actually aware of what they're putting on um so i think that voices and such vocal voices such as antifa need to be apparent yeah. so that uh, these venues can actually reconsider and make a judgment
0: upon yeah. it. I definitely think it's a topic that we should probably look into further another time, which is the responsibility of the venue mm. versus the promoter who brings in the audience and brings in the money. Yeah. Um, and how much responsibility is divvied up uh, between the artist, the promoter and the venue. Yeah. But we'll, we'll save that for uh, when we I mean, try Yeah, the, we can we do a whole,
1: yeah, a whole topic on NSBM and yeah. venues aside as well.
0: And um, certainly not coming to the defence of Horner uh, here either. Um, I mean, there was a story that I think it was published, uh, a metal blog uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, sort of outlying Horner's Involvement with NSBM or suspected involvement with NSBM, um, the guitarist uh, Villa, uh, I think it's Pistinen, <laughs> I've butchered that. Um, he was once a member of a band that featured songs such as titles like "White Agony." Right. Okay. Uh, some of the band's lyrics include like, "If we don't change the cause, our culture will be dying," and. Um, Mother Europe, here I stand. A proud son today and a white father tomorrow.
1: So essentially, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, yeah, it's yeah. probably a white supremacist. He's worked
0: with bands called Crystal Nacht
1: okay, and yeah. the Hammer. Right, oh, okay. Crystal
0: Act and Hammer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has, actually has a swastika at the center of its band logo. Oh, <laughs> so I just don't know how you can, yeah. Um. Another band member of Horner, uh, Thomas uh, Ritkonen, who plays keyboard. You're really dis- slamming
1: your way through yeah, these names. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm literally just <laughs> dragging my heels through the sludge. Um, he's worked with a band um, called Peste Noir.
1: Mm. Oh, the French band. Yeah. Yeah. And they had that they album. They are atrocious. Yeah.
0: And they had that album called, I think it's called like Aryan Supremacy. Yeah. Or something and like not that.
1: And just, not just visually and what they stand for, but their yeah. music is pretty fucking terrible. And Horner,
0: in a Facebook post, denied any ties to Nazism. There you go. Well, if
1: it's Facebook official, then... Uh... Exactly.
0: Yeah. Which segues perfectly into this week's topic.
1: Well done. That was good. Right, so this week um, we are covering a little film which has been in production for quite some time, and also has been on everyone's radar for quite some time. The film in question is a is a film called Lords
0: of Chaos. How are we going to start with this absolute
1: steamer? I don't know, because uh, it is such a wide topic to cover, and I think that when we when we spoke about this previously we kind of didn't want to actually get much into the people involved in terms of the crime itself
0: the truth the lies and what actually happened
1: yeah so i think that we wanted to more cover just the production side of it so we're gonna miss out a lot of stuff um so don't crucify us like a mouse
0: like a mouse Yeah. yeah
1: let's start with just a general opinion of not necessarily the film itself but the idea of committing a story such as this yeah. to film.
0: Well, jury's out, I think with Lords of chaos for me, um, which is perfect coming into a podcast where it's supposed <laughs> to be addressing what we, uh, what we think of the film. Um, I am currently undecided and I'm hoping that this next hour or so that we're talking about it will be, Clarify some of the uh, the vague, cryptic um, opinions I have of it. Like at the moment, as it stands, I'm undecided whether I think it is not a good or bad film, but whether it is uh, worthy of the story.
1: Do you think it needed to be told?
0: Um, again, <clears throat> the story has been told in a manifest of ways over the past 30 years uh and they all seem to tread a very similar line so to commercialize it which i think is the thing that i'm struggling with the most is that it has such a widespread release whereas something like the documentary until the light takes us was very well received but it had quite a small distribution and i think it was more so word of mouth where and people that were involved with the scene were able to watch that documentary
1: not a huge theatrical release though because
0: no it's not i know it's a vice production so Mm. it's it's never going to have like the financial backing even though vice is like a i think it's multi-million yeah corporation um i i appreciate it i mean it premiered at Sundance. It didn't premiere at Cannes or anything like that. Mm. Um, But I do think that it is still a commercial film. It is appealing to a wider audience than, say, just for metal purists. And I think metal purists, for one, on average, are either indifferent or quite negative about the film itself.
1: It's it's just everyone being incredibly precious over over a band that have not been. I mean, they're not they're not a Slayer, they're not a Metallica, they're not people, they're not household name bands. Um, and given the general mentality of black metal fans, anyway, they're stepping on eggshells around these mm. people. I don't think there's any way that they could have done this that would have appeased both. Not at all. I mean... Both the fans and also yeah. critics. Um, like
0: Jonas Acklen, um, the director, who eventually got his hands on the rights to the Lords of Chaos mm. book, which is another contentious issue that we might be able to uh, Well, discuss. we touch on it, yeah. Um, one of his main sticking points was that he... And the, one of the main things that he spent quite a large chunk of money on was getting the clothes right, Mm. uh, getting the right printed T-shirts. And they spent a lot of money on getting um, like original T-shirt designs and original um, merchandise from the early Norwegian black metal uh, scene. (coughs) And apparently for him, that was one of the things that he was desperate to get right. Whereas I think whilst that is definitely a facet, of portraying the movie correctly and getting the mise-en-scene and all of the aesthetics right i don't think metal heads who are protective over mayhem whilst they probably will care down to the like they'll tooth comb the shit mm. out of the, this morose suicidal story um but I think they care more about the representation of the individuals involved and the bands and how they're represented, which the film ultimately doesn't concentrate on. No. And I think that's the main issue that a lot of people are going to find with it.
1: This is the thing. Like, and I think this is almost what, for me at least, makes this film worth it. So this is not really a film about metal. Um I don't find it to be particularly like the the aspects of it that uh, centre around the music itself are not as interesting as it is the dynamics between the members involved. Mm. Um, it is a coming of age story, and it is almost like a cautionary tale. Um, and for me, if it had have just been. You know, this this music scene in the early 90s and late 80s, early 90s, and they're all crazy and blah and so on. I don't think that would have been nearly as interesting if it wasn't for the artistic liberties that they took with the story. Yeah, Because it's not, I mean, as they say at the beginning, it's based on true flies and what actually happened. And giving that disclaimer right up front, they kind of wash their hands of any criticism well they don't because they have been criticized thoroughly both by people involved and fans of the music um but that being said i think the fact that they did take some liberties with the story essentially elevates it and puts gives it because as you said that they spent a huge amount of money just trying to get the look of it right i don't think that that would have flown if there wasn't some substance underneath it
0: I think the substance underneath of it, um, for me, again, whilst it isn't a Hollywood film, it's going to have a certain distribution to a mainstream audience. Mm. Um, Humanising this event to the degree that they do, I think, is a little bit... um, is it insidious?
1: There's there's a couple of there's a couple of bits that I think are quite cheap. Yeah. Um So I mean, there's one character in particular, and it's a shame that she's the only female character in the film. Although it, I mean, in those days, the black metal scene was an absolute boys club. I mean, it still is an absolute boys club. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, essentially, they made this composite character. Actually, I don't know even whether it was composite or whether it was just completely made up. Mm. Um, but they use this character essentially as a prop to give some growth. She's a she's a narrative tool. Yeah, yeah. She yeah she has a, she doesn't have any characteristics to speak of whatsoever. It's just to essentially just show how the protagonist of the film has grown. If, if you can use that. I mean, yeah. I don't think looking at any of these people and knowing what they were like in real life, none of them are likable people. You can't really feel compassion for them. Yeah. Saying that, this film does, well, for me at least, struck a chord to kind of almost pity. I think I'd say pity. That and that that is
0: my issue with it, is that it's quite deceitful mm. how they use Sky Ferreira yeah, and how they use Rory Culkin as the humans. They hum- Sky Ferreira doesn't even exist, mm. um, but Rory Culkin as Euronymous, They humanize him to such a degree that it becomes slightly deceitful to a true life story. Yeah, um, and I understand entirely why they had to do it. Yeah. Because they had to make a movie out of it. And if mm. they didn't do that, it would literally just be a paint-by-numbers true crime story. Well, as as far, as much truth as what we can assume.
1: And that's my point, is is like, was there any way of getting their foot in in order to tell this story otherwise? And if not, then should they have told the story at all? And don't get me wrong,
0: I they... There are aspects of the casting and there are aspects of the acting in general that. I know someone who has a
1: problem with some of the casting. Well, yeah, I actually do
0: have a. I I mean, I've got a few issues with who was casted and Mm. why. Yeah. But um, I think one of the things that the movie does. You're not on the same
1: page as Varg then.
0: (laughs) No. Uh, One of the things I think the movie does really, really well is its depiction of these individuals as pathetic,
1: uh, imbecilic children. Children. Yeah. Children is the... And that's, I think, even though they used the actors involved, were, I think that they're 28, 20, around the the 30-year-old age. But the majority of when this was going on at the time, I think, like, Varg, who's one of the the main characters of the film, (laughs) he was... Between the ages of like sixteen to nineteen, yeah, when when the events actually occurred, which is so young,
0: it's like they were playing.
1: Yeah, and
0: if you see the trial footage of Varg, I mean, mm. he looks so young. Yeah, and he it's almost to the extent where he doesn't even appreciate how severe the crime that he's
1: committed is. I don't think. He does he, I don't still, think he even think
0: he does now.
1: No. The way that he talks about it, no, I don't...
0: Yeah, because he gets, like, millions of hits every blog post that he posts up on... What's the name of his YouTube channel? Thulian
1: Perspective or something Yeah, is it pronounced Thulian? Thulian Perspective? Yeah,
0: something like that. I mean, he makes... But he probably gets some revenue Mm. by rehashing this story for
1: 20 years. Well, he's got to buy all those... uh, Camo overalls. Yeah, I know he's got <laughs> feeders for Aryan children. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I can't seem to find my wardrobe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> With their little crazy, like, perfectly blonde bowl haircuts. Yeah, right.
0: yeah, very Aryan. Yeah.
1: So a little bit of background about the film. This isn't the first attempt at this. So the film originally was set to be made in two thousand and eight. I believe. So it was originally uh, under the the direction of Sion Sono, um, who is Japanese director, and this was set to be his first English language film. And originally, the script was set to focus around uh, Varg rather than Euronymous, set to be filmed in 2009 um and sono stated that the, it was going to be filmed in Norway uh, which would begin in August uh, through to September um and the film was going to be released in 2010 unfortunately due to scheduling conflicts uh Rathbone had to drop out of the role of Vickness. flash forward to 2015 it was announced that Baffrey drummer uh Jonas Auckland uh would take up directing duties um he was the previous drummer for well very brief a drummer. rehearsal drummer i don't yeah. even
0: think he's on any records no
1: yeah i think that you can't really i think a lot of people point to that as like a validity of him doing this project but
0: yeah i've heard a lot of people whinge about his black metal status uh since the release of this film because he wears it a, a little bit like a badge yeah but at the same time he doesn't gloat he doesn't say uh you don't know the true story you weren't in Bathory yeah but at the same time I think he was in Bathory for a very brief it was
1: it was 83 to 84 um so it's really really brief I don't think it was even a full 12 months no um But apparently he left because the music scene was becoming just too serious for him, especially the black metal music scene. Yeah. Yeah. because then he had to make a film about it.
0: Yeah. If you look at him in interviews as well, I think he's got a very um, dry sense of humour, but he does look quite stoic and quite serious um, during the interviews as well. If anyone tries to make a joke, he's kind of like that robotic, ha, ha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. so you probably would be familiar with his work if you weren't a black metal fan. So yeah. he's, ma- he's mainly famous for being a music video director. You're right there. Yeah. So he's mainly famous for being a music video director. Some of the things that he's worked on have been uh, Smack My Bitch Up by The Prodigy. Mm-hmm. He also worked R. on... RIP Keith. Thank you. He also worked on uh, My Favourite Game by The Cardigans. Um, Ray of Light by Madonna, for which he won the 1999 Grammy Award for Best Short Form Music Video. However, his first foray into the music video world was with a video for Bewitched by Candlemas. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that yeah, yeah, video. Yeah, It is awful. I don't know how anyone employed him afterwards, because it is the most amateurish, Almost embarrassing, almost to the point that it was like a character assassination on Mm. the band.
0: Well, people have a lot of faith in Jonas, it seems, because when he moved out to L.A., uh, apparently people were approaching him saying, when are you going to when are you going to release a movie then? Mm. Um, Just like completely out of the blue, he had these a, a few accreditations to his name. But then suddenly he's got financial backing to produce an edit spun um
1: i think was, he directed it yeah fine. he directed yeah. it
0: yeah but he he was a film editor first he mm. talks about that so, um so yeah that people have a, seem to have a lot of um belief in Jonas, despite the fact that candle mass isn't the best example of his no birth.
1: and speak speaking of that video um it also features uh pell dead from mayhem and if you've seen this video i just it is insane. So it's is it Messiah marklin Marcolin?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> and I don't know whether you've seen this Andre the Giant looking motherfucker, but he is oh, massive. He's a big guy. Yeah, and we're led to believe that he can fit inside the coffin that is brought out at the beginning of this music video, yeah. and then they do some crazy dance, and there's a little bit of live footage. But it's like an eight minute long video. I to love the point, that video. To the point where it's awkward, where if it had only been like three minutes of people parading around like idiots, you would have been able to have hacked it. But when it hits that five minute mark, it's you, you've been looking at it for too long. Yeah. So the film didn't begin principal photography until 2016. And the film was primarily shot in uh, Budapest. Um, We've only a few days actually spent in Oslo, and those were just for external shots. And it took around 18 days to film, which mm. is a really short amount of time when yeah. you think about it.
0: Apparently, two of those days were spent shooting the
1: the live video. The, no, the, the
0: closing um, death scene.
1: Oh really? Yeah. So it had a budget of around three to four million, which is not a lot at all. I don't know whether it's going to... Do you reckon it's going to make it back? Yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah.
0: It's had a lot of coverage. I mm. think
1: it will definitely... Um, if not on initial it. release, it will be...
0: <clears throat> it's got a, um, a director's cut coming to um, DVD like soon as well. So there's going to be like a NSFW version <laughs> of the movie, which I'm sure will appeal
1: I think the movie itself is NSFW, yeah. (laughs) As we mentioned previously, he's most known for being a music video director. Um, And he actually managed to work that into the production of this film. So there are a number of scenes within the film that are around the performance side of the band. And it turns out that, that Lars Ulrich from metallica ended up giving Jonas a call at some point uh and asked him to see if he had some time aside to film a music video for the new well one of the new singles off the most recent metallica album
0: he said just pick one didn't he
1: yeah well just pick a song yeah well i think he picked the worst song because i don't think i listened to the whole of that album i think i listened to like the first two tracks and went this is all right and then i didn't get far enough into it to realize no they're back to their old yeah. tricks so essentially the music video just features the performance aspect of the film and it is Rory Colkin, uh Jack Kilmer and the other two who oh, I can't remember their names but they're not corpse painted up so I'm not including them um essentially performing as the band Mayhem but doing a very poor version of a very poor Metallica song um, and it is not a particularly great music video. It's a strange
0: dichotomy as well. Like
1: why? Yeah,
0: would Metallica. They whilst they didn't request anything, and it was up to um, Jonas mm. to come up with some kind of treatment. And obviously, he due to filming uh, Lords of Chaos and dedication towards that, he obviously couldn't construct any other story. Other than what he was working on at the time, mm. which was Lords of Chaos. But merging Metallica with people dressed up as Mayhem is a little bit odd.
1: Yeah. So, as mentioned, it was filmed in 2016. Uh, this music video was also released in 2016 to coincide with the new Metallica mm-hmm. record. Um, and having having read and listened to a couple of interviews with Rory Colkin, he seems to think that that's a bit of a shame that they couldn't either get the film out quicker or that this music video didn't come out later so that way they could have cross-promoted it but to be honest i'm i completely forgot that this music video existed until it was brought up and if anything i think it i think the film benefits from not having that attachment to this music video because i just i think it would probably lessen the impact of this story um and just yeah it seems slightly cheap
0: yeah um should we talk about the music involved in the film included in the film
1: yes yeah, there's a number of people who say that absolutely everyone from this era of black metal absolutely detests and despises despises the idea of this film as far as i'm aware the majority of the majority of the people who have been mentioned that say they have not allowed the rights to their music have indeed not allowed the rights to their music however Mayhem themselves have signed off on it and their music is is present in the film um, during the live and also in the credits.
0: But they're not original recordings. No. Um, it was a no identical... Uh, they were no identical covers by a band called... Uh, was it Malparados? Or mm. Something like that. Um, and when they're actually... When Rory Colkin. Is practicing with the early genesis of Mayhem in the movie. Um, when they're practicing Mayhem, actually, had to. I think Mayhem might have. It was either Mal Parados or Mayhem themselves had to re record performances to sound mm. worse mm. than what it was in order for it to sound as though they were rehearsing and practicing and building upon their craft. And that is, I just find that hilarious, like a genre of music, which is based around sounding intentionally bad. You then have to go back for a commercial movie to make something that sounds even worse than that.
1: It's like the reverse polishing a turd, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Shitting on a turd. Other music uh, in the movie uh, includes Tormentor, Grotesque.
1: Um, tormentor S- which is attila's yeah of a band
0: yeah uh sacra is it for or sacrophago um someone called dip and then uh sigil ross also um was there just for good measure um no dark throne
1: no and no i apparently femris is in the film um, he's cast in the film, he but is cast in the I film. I don't know where he shows up. He shows up
0: um, when they're forming the Black Circle, a bunch of fucking squares in a, <laughs> in a basement yeah. form a Black Circle. Um, I think he's one of the guys that's like hanging out down there with them. Okay. Um, but there's no allusions to other bands um, despite Faust's presence throughout the film, mm. which was required but um i think someone wears an emperor t-shirt other than that there's no emperor in the film i was wondering whether that was like a conscious decision due to legal issues with faust and with emperor but can't really confirm that on a side note um i have a very interesting fact about um one of the church burning scenes, there are multiple church burning scenes within the movie. Um, But one in particular, they constructed a makeshift um, model of one of the churches that was burnt down by um, Farg, assumedly burnt down, definitely burnt down by Farg. And I believe Uranus was present as well. Um, one of the model churches that they constructed was about thirty foot, thirty meters, sorry, in height. So it was still quite a large structure. Mm. <clears throat> and um, during filming, the, the the sole intention of this uh, building this church was to burn it down. Uh, and they obviously had to film it from multiple angles, and they had to ensure that it would stay alight for long enough whilst they were filming it. Um, and they couldn't afford wood to put inside of the fake church.
1: They couldn't afford wood.
0: They apparently they couldn't afford
1: wood. <laughs> That's not particularly <laughs> They could afford to build resource.
0: They could afford to build a model church almost <laughs> to size. But they couldn't afford wood. Um, so what they did was During the production of this movie, uh, Jonas uh, got in contact with director Ridley Scott. Oh, really? Yeah, who had just, I believe, had just wrapped up uh, Blade Runner 2. And close to where they were filming, I believe there was like a lockup of sets and set designs and all these, like, this memorabilia from... Uh, movies and one of them was Blade Runner 2 and apparently Jonas got um, permission to take some Blade Runner 2 sets to fill inside the church (laughs) and he burnt down Blade Runner 2 sets for the scene that you see where the church is uh
1: so they took everything wooden from Blade Runner 2049 yep including Ryan Gosling's acting
0: oh <laughs> yeah
1: and chucked it in the church and burned it down yeah and apparently
0: they wanted it to obviously sustain um, a, like an ongoing flame for mm. long enough to shoot it apparently it went up like instantly and they literally had like only a couple of minutes to film the entire thing because it was it was so ferocious
1: but there, it but it is very well done and it is very striking i mean they the majority of those scenes all appear on the um on the adverts and on the posters and it is
0: it's still it's, quite arresting now yeah, isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and i can only imagine what it must have been like at that point when you were in norway in early in the early 90s yeah um but they did actually they did do because as we mentioned it was mainly filmed in uh budapest um but quite a lot of the externals were shot in oslo and i know that they did actually go to the helveta record shop that Euronymous owned um just before his death uh, which i believe now is a pet shop
0: yeah, I thought it was a cafe or something,
1: but Yeah. No, it's a pet shop and there is a record store next door, apparently. But if you go down downstairs into into the um original Helvetia records shop, it is pretty much left untouched. Yeah. From what it was when Euronymous owned it. And his throne is there. So you've got Huronymus' little throne. And also apparently there's still a uh there's still a set of dumbbells and a bench press because apparently Euronymous was trying to get ripped towards the end of his life. Really? Yeah. Fucking. Hell. He wanted he wanted uh, abs that could stop a knife.
0: That is amazing. <laughs> Speaking of abs, Rory Colkin. <laughs> Speaking of abs, uh, Rory Colkin gets uh, his his kit off quite a lot.
1: He gets his kit off quite a lot yeah, throughout does, this doesn't entire he? film.
0: Yeah. Uh, which I don't think was reported uh, at the time.
1: Well, apparently he had to get in really good shape for this film, which if he was method acting, I don't think that that's necessarily the route that you wanted to go down because I think Euronymous... Yeah, concentrate was... on the um, on the
0: porn tash, maybe.
1: <laughs> which, does make a, which does make an appearance. It um, does.
0: A very brief appearance. Appearance,
1: yeah. Cause I thought he had that throughout the majority of his later years, but
0: later years being what? Like 20. 20. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what do you, what's your impression of the casting um, in light of the true nature of these people?
1: Uh, So I don't think any of it really particularly works. Just in terms of, I don't think, well, I mean, it's difficult because there's so little documented about Euronymous in terms of him actually as a person, the way that he conducted himself yeah. day to day.
0: It's the opinions of people that knew him, yeah. which could always be contrary or could be biased. So you're never going to have a true depiction of someone such no. as Euronymous.
1: No, but I think probably the one that everyone talks about and everyone refers to is um, Emery Cohen, uh, who plays Varg in the film. Um, As the only, I guess he's kind of the most vocal, out of the people who make an appearance in this film, he's the only one who is still as vocal now as he was then. Uh, one would say even more so, given his YouTube channel, so a lot of the criticism that has been lodged towards him is his appearance, but not only his appearance but his uh, ethnicity, um, which I absolutely love. I really enjoyed this choice, and it does wholly seem quite spiteful towards Varg. do you think it is
0: a, do you think it was um, a trigger
1: in what way? For
0: Varg, like, so do you think Jonas, I think it that seems a bit racist in itself to purposely uh, recruit Emery just to piss off Varg.
1: Mm, well, I don't know. I feel that the the way that Emery Cohen has portrayed him, I feel that he was probably in on it. And I think that he, obviously he knew that Varg, A, wasn't going to enjoy the fact that this film existed in the first place, mm. but B, was going to be livid at the fact that a Jewish actor is playing Varg. So, um,
0: and according to Varg, an overweight Jewish actor.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that that is something that needs to be brought up, is the majority of these characters in this, in this film, they're not nice people. They're racist, they're homophobic, they're sexists. This is the
0: problem that I am faced with, with laws of chaos in general, mm. is that it is exactly that. These people, IRL, <laughs> are racist, homophobic, bigoted, prejudiced people, um, criminals as mm. well. Um and I think what the cast, I think, as we've expressed, what the cast does pretty well and what the script sort of outlines pretty well is that they were children. Um, but again, it's the, humanize, the humanization,
1: Whether of, they deserve it.
0: Yeah, so I think Rory, Emery Cohen, both of those actors, the lead roles, Whilst they do really anti-up Varg's sort of racist ideologies, which he sort of denies uh, in his YouTube videos as well. Um, Whilst
1: spouting racist ideologies.
0: (laughs) Um, I think Rory's depiction of Euronymous is almost too human Mm. because we have to accept that euronymous was also a criminal yeah Uh, and there are certain accounts that outline his own bigotry his own sexism towards women so i think the movie sheens over that to quite some with quite some margin Mm. with those two actors
1: I mean, quite a lot of the film is played for laughs as well, which is something I don't think we've brought up because when I went into this, so I, I went to see this at the Rio Cinema in um, Dalston, uh, which had a introduction by Thurston Moore of uh, the Sonic Youth fame. Um, when I sat down to watch this, within the first five minutes, my first reaction was, what is this? Because I had no idea what the purpose of the film was. It wasn't until... About 20 minutes in, I kind of got what this, this is trying to get at as these gawky, weird kids who are cringeworthy and embarrassing, um, which is probably accurate. People were probably incredibly intimidated by them, you know, roaming the streets of Oslo. But also looking, taking a look from a further perspective, you do just see it as incredibly childish yeah. and incredibly embarrassing. And I think the humor works um, whilst it might seem a little
0: bit uncomfortable mm. because it is like, it's gallows humor. It's yeah. like Onyx black comedy. Mm. Um, and ultimately leads to a, a form of tragedy. I do think the comedy does help um, ease the audiences um consumption of horrific acts
1: it essentially informs the ending and ups the the tragedy at the end of it
0: um I, i do think the whole movie is quite cynical the humor comes out as quite um cynical uh and it's like a sort of like the gross spectacle of rare performance scenes or like the conspiring of criminal acts it's like totally made a mockery of um, and it's sort of constantly taken down by shadowing these moments with satire mm. um, sort of like these are these are demonic people but they bloody hanker a kebab <laughs> do you know what I mean like, yeah it, it's, it's those moments that where they're taken away from things or so when Varg's in the, uh, the car and he's talking to Euronymous and he's talking about the recordings, and then he looks at looks quite sincerely into Joremus' eyes quite menacingly, and suddenly he says, My mum will pay for it. Yeah. Like things like that. Uh, because these were rich middle class kids, and that's what they're trying to highlight. But also it comes across as hilarious because they're, they're supposed to be presenting themselves as these evil. Evil creatures that are um, outside of society. But they have a very healthy
1: family, family life. Yeah, it is the most, probably one of the most angsty, like teen angst films that I've watched. Um, but I think something that has really annoyed quite a lot of fans is the fact that it takes something that people hold so dearly and essentially just demystifies it. So. And that was what I got from the beginning is I was like, "What? what is going on here? I was expecting to see, you know, Norse valleys and hills and have a real atmosphere to this film. And it's, and it's not like that at all. And I think that that has annoyed a lot of people at the fact that it's essentially shown these middle-class children as exactly what they are.
0: Yeah. Um, I think one of the, um, I mean, the thing is, Despite that, I still find, like feel no empathy for any of them. The only um, character I empathise for is Sky Ferreira, and she doesn't even exist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'd probably say Dead, um, Jack Helmer playing Dead, because he was obviously someone who had a lot of issues. And that's that's one other thing that needs to be brought up about this film is some of the content of it is very strong. And it is played in a very matter-of-fact way. I mean, I can watch horror films of people getting mutilated for hours and yeah. not be affected yeah. by it. But there are a few scenes of, of self-harm, of suicide and murder, which is incredibly gruelling. And I can imagine it would be very difficult for someone of that disposition to watch
0: jack Hilmer uh, prepared for the role as much as you can for a
1: but he was a metalhead dead he was well, a metalhead to claim yeah, metalhead okay.
0: i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna nitpick his choices mm. like his uh interest in metal at all if he's a metal fan he's a metal fan that's great um but apparently he prepared for the role by hanging out with dead's brother and okay. he said it was like quite an emotional experience and um he was apparently given Dead's clothes.
1: The stage clothes that he buried?
0: Um, just, just like a bunch just of clothes so. that, okay. that hang out. Because he, when he went to, I don't know what Dead's brother's uh, name is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was given a just like a handful of his clothes, to, probably to u- utilize in the film. And he was also uh, given a pair of uh, moth-eating jeans that had doodles <coughs> all over them. And apparently they were too delicate to use in the film. So um, Acklen just made a replica pair mm. that you see there. Um, and the way how he tried to get into Dead's mindset was apparently he bought knives from a gypsy in Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> it's about That's, as method as you can go for a character like Dead, really.
1: Yeah, um, but So obviously so obviously has some kind of sign off from the family. Like, they weren't sensitive yeah. about... Well,
0: Ackerlund, I think, got in touch with Euronymous and Dead's family, mm. first and foremost, and then got in touch with Mayhem. Yeah. Like, Necrobutcher. So, uh, apparently on the day of um, Dead's death suicide scene, yes, uh, Dead's death scene, pun intended, um, <laughs> they left... Kilmer in a pool of fake blood for like three hours and they had rotting fruit and real dead cats just strewn around the house. And he said he was just miserable. I can imagine. Yeah. 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 Totally.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they went some way in in making sure it was authentic. I mean, apparently the um the pig's heads that are featured in the live performance are real pig's heads that were sitting on spikes for... 12 hours I think yeah um and there is a point in the film in which they throw it into the audience and there are a few audience members who are actually eating the pig's heads and those are real pig's heads that they're eating that have been rotting for 12 hours so
0: I mean it's not what people ethical. do to get on camera
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. um but in terms of in terms of how the so obviously we know that the film kind of portrays Vague and not a particularly nice light, and that's not hard to believe. Yeah, that's because, quite just. Isn't yeah. It? Um, however, I, whilst it obviously because it needs it needs a way in, it needs to have some kind of some kind of it's protagonist. Light and dark, doesn't yeah. Like it needs to have. However, I don't think I don't think that Euronymous essentially gets away scot free throughout um. the film, and this is something that I know Varg talks about a lot and I know that other individuals involved with that scene has talked about a lot, is the fact that he was all talk. Like, he absolutely loved taking credit for everything. He was, he's, a. if he was about nowadays, he would be all about search engine optimization because he he is the marketing whiz. Yeah, he is crazy. And I mean, and that's even during the death scene towards the end, I mean, he goes on to say that, you know, this would be really cool. Like, we can tell everyone that you tried to kill me and uh, we can make this a big thing. Everyone will think it's fucking evil. Um, And again, it is kind of pitiful.
0: But I love... That is one aspect of the character development that I love in all of them. Yeah. It's how it's such a solid portrayal of how this scene, mayhem, birdsong, dark throne, even though it isn't really influenced in the film were a public relations wet dream. Yeah. They really were. Like they, this was pre-internet. So everything was tape, distribution, word of mouth. And they become, they became this world renowned and revered group Mm. just on the back of, um, gimmickry, um, on the back of, uh, these extreme spectacles suddenly everyone knew mayhem they, and they used crime they, hmm. they they went to the extent of murder in order to be noticed yeah which is just unbelievable and that is one aspect of the film that i think come has been portrayed so well a couple of the other um Characters in the film uh, include Volta uh, Skarsgård as Faust.
1: Another Skarsgård. Another Skarsgård. There's so many Skarsgårds. Yeah. Stellan Skarsgård's loins just yeah. spit. Talent. I think
0: a Nordic story requires a Skar- Skarsgård for validity. Um, I thought Faust in that movie, of all of the acting... His was a solid performance, if rated by the lack of emotion shown. Yeah, like I, I'm I gonna be a little bit, I'm gonna be a little bit nasty to him and say I don't think he's a very good actor. But as Faust, and especially during that scene, spoilers like it's in the public domain when he kills. <clears throat> um, what's do you know the name of the victim? I
1: don't know. No. Right.
0: When he targets his victim, and then there is that horrific murder scene, Mm. I believed that actor because he can't act.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, to be honest, I don't think the script does him any favours. There's a couple of really wry on-the-nose lines. um, And one especially... So you see... And I don't know what the point of this is trying to get at, because... I mean a lot of people have been trying to fight like obscenity trials like, you know, like the Mary Whitehouse video nasties yeah. thing. Um, throughout the film, you see him constantly watching horror films. Yeah. Um so you see him watching uh Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Brain dead yeah. Um I can't remember what else he's watching. Um but then as soon as he's finished watching them, he goes on to say something to the effect of I wonder what it would feel like to plunge my knife into a human. Maybe I'll find out. And I don't believe anyone would say those lines, but also I don't understand what that's trying to get at as to whether, whether you are then taking it that culture is actually influencing these individuals.
0: I think, um, Ackland included those scenes just to contextualize it and Mm. give it a point in history. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was used thematically. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's there for any purpose other than to just give a historical sort of chronolo- chronology to when and where it was. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting, I mean, it's kind of like what you mentioned about video nasties and whether it was a comment on that, it would be interesting if there was that strand running through the film about exploitation Cinema and how we're watch what we're watching itself is in a way exploitative mm. uh, of these individuals, but also of um, us as an audience, as voyeurs, like witnessing these gross, horrific criminal acts on screen. Mm. Um, it would be fantastic if that was intentional by Ackland, but unfortunately, I don't think it was. Very much like. Rory's representation of Euronymous I think it is literally like a bit of a facile kind of superficial narrative tool to add sort of empathy in a real life story that is completely void of empathy or Mm. should be void of empathy Um, however despite the fact that she is non-existent it is to a certain degree based on real life romances in euonymus's life okay <clears throat> um do you remember bizarre the magazine, the magazine yeah yeah <laughs> uh bizarre of all magazines yeah, they actually locked down an interview with um Euronymous's real life sky ferrera okay um you can tell it's real life as it was part of the magazine's real people occurring segment <laughs> so real you know people it's, yeah it's called real people okay. this is a real person well what were they remain anonymous. The rest of the yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the poll quotes for the article was, I was Satan's sex toy. Nice. <laughs> um and she outlines the relationship that um she had with Euronymous. I think it's a British um girl, which I think she was about 16 or 17. Oh shit. When she met Euronymous, and then um I mean, whether this story is true at all Mm. is, I mean, the source is quite questionable. Yeah. But apparently she moved out to Norway to live with Euronymous. And she said that um, he was quite a nice chap at times. At times. Uh, Yeah. Um, Euronymous is just like committing suicide in his grave Mm -hmm. as we speak. (laughs) Oh, he's actually, he was actually quite a nice chap. Um, well, if you she, wore
1: those Valley Girl crop tops like he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Apparently she used to call him Austin.
1: Austin. Yeah. <laughs> um, Are so, we going to have a run at his name properly? It's Oyston, isn't it? Yeah. So said, I used to call him Austin.
0: Austin. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like, oh, he was really nice. But then obviously his friend would murder him a couple of months later. She said when she moved to Norway, things got darker. Almost immediately. Probably left around April time. <laughs> uh, should have waited for midnight sun season. <laughs> um, one of the interactions that we that she had, the real life Sky Ferreira, mm. um, the girlfriend of Euronymous. Um, one of the interactions... This is all getting very confusing yeah, know, now. Yeah, like the real life, the Sky, real life Ferreira. Sky Ferreira. Is as Sky in the Ferreira? The real girlfriend of Euronymous. Um, one of the interactions that she had with Varg who apparently she didn't didn't really get on with Take particularly two. well. Varg suggested that she dye her hair blonde. Because, uh, you know, nationalists like their girls own natural, don't they? <laughs> apparently she had black hair at the time. Oh, okay. But so it was bobby Barbie. Like, you know what? She's really... Uh, uh, don't even have blonde. They're
1: the Barbie doll chic.
0: Right. Um so, what do we? What's what's the takeaway for Lords of Chaos?
1: Would you recommend this film? Uh, it depends. Would you recommend this film as a film? Would you recommend this film as a film, or would you recommend this film as a piece of metal history? So, we're never going to know the truth,
0: and I think a lot of metalheads when they went into this movie. For one, they've got their fine tooth comb at the ready. Mm. Um, But I think they were looking for some sort of like ASMR treatment with like what they were witnessing on screen. Like they wanted a a type of catharsis for fanatics. They wanted to embrace it. Potentially, another aspect of that could be there's no way that they were going to accept it, even if it was as close to truth as possible. No. Because it is a commercial... Because it would have been
1: nonsensical and would have absolutely no dramatic elements to it whatsoever, apart from there'd be long, long elements of just nothing Mm -hmm. punctuated by violence. Yeah.
0: So here's the question that I have, that I'm left with. How much of this movie's construction is intended to torment or ridicule either the sort of overzealous earnestness of black metal or like the commercialization of the scene, like how much of it is there to prod at it and how much of it is to demonize the individuals. Is this a targeted attack from Jonas? You know, it's sort of like similar to, you know, Michael Haneke's funny games, Mm. how it was re released in America and redirected by Hannah but scene by scene, it was exactly the same. And it was as a form of sort of penance for yeah. extreme terror. It was like saying, "Look at look at these evil people, and look at yourself yeah. for watching this." Is he commenting on that? Is he trying to present a well-documented, well documented, well, well researched report? And these are these are the questions that I'm left with after the film, and that is the air, the gray area where I'm at with it.
1: I think a hundred percent it is. I don't. I think calculated is very strong, strong and kind of biased word. Um, but I think that he is. 100% using it to show these individuals for what they are. And as I mentioned previously, it's not really a film about metal. You could, have taken, you could have taken this to, it could have been a film about cricket and it would have still had the same impact in terms of the themes that it's dealing with, yeah. of these misguided, angry youth who don't really know what they're angry at. Um, and just showing how, how quickly something like this can escalate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think it's merely a sort of get out of jail, a reformed nationalist card <laughs> wavering situation for a gang of confused children. I don't think that's his intention mm. for the movie. I think, it intentionally, I think it potentially aims to be a little bit more offensive than that. Because there's no real pathos to this movie, uh, even following Euronymous' death. Like, I feel no pity, like I said, other than for Sky Ferreira, who doesn't even exist. I think Eichlund is trying to convey a pathetic syndrome within emasculated alpha men. Mm. It's the gang mentality, isn't it? It's like as a pandemic. Like, it's what happens when you get a group of ignorant boys together and the result of what could happen of that one-upmanship. And that, for me, is the best part of the movie. It's the other parts that I'm still struggling to come to some kind of finality with. It's sort of like the viral nature of masculine competitiveness is what the movie does really well. What it doesn't do really well is further highlight the individual's evil, in almost inherently evil nature in real life.
1: Hmm. But we're not the only ones who had an opinion on this film. The most notable person who's objected to this film is Varg, of course. As, shock. Yeah, shock horror. Um actual horror. <laughs> however, there has been a bit of a movement in the UK to have this film banned. There was a church group that campaigned to have this uh, film banned. Apparently, they don't find the uh, funny side of uh, suicide and murder. Um, So Simon Calvert, uh, deputy director of the Christian Institute, said he was surprised that the film had not been banned given the recent discussion about self-harm. He said, in the current climate of concern over self-harm and suicide, you would have thought that there would have been more consideration of the risk that vulnerable people might imitate what they see. Which, for me, makes me think that he has absolutely no idea about depression and suicide. Mm -hmm. I don't think that... And this is another thing, and this is also brought up by the BBFC, in which they said that it contains strong bloody violence, uh, gore and suicide... But they said that it did not glamorise self-harm, which I think is another big thing if we're talking about imitating people. Like, these are not people that you want to align yourself with. Mm. Some of those scenes are very difficult to watch. And I don't know whether you could say that they were done tastefully, But they were done... Done very well. Done very well. Apparently Um, they used
0: prosthetics and pumps. Yeah, and it's
1: very visceral. And I think that they did it in the best possible way that they could have done it. I don't think that they're... I don't think you would... I I noticed people actually kind of shielding their eyes during a lot of that whilst I was in the cinema.
0: Including uh, Rory Culkin. Oh, really? During the Sundance premiere, apparently he was... um, physically shaken by mm. witnessing himself be murdered yeah. on screen. And he had to be consoled by uh, cast members um, after the movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would aim to ban the movie uh, on those grounds. If anything, the movie should potentially be banned for its diabolical dream sequences <laughs> that it decides to include in it. Like, Euronymous is like that internal paranoia that he's got like saying everyone's against me um i thought that that was really cheaply constructed i mean
1: the music video side of it did show through at that point and you could see where jonas ackland's expertise lie yeah um yeah i mean i think given that there's there's a number of people who have moved from music videos to making films and Whilst they're great stylistically, they're not great narrative storytellers. And for me, I think that this film did actually do quite well. There's some pacing issues.
0: Yeah, there um, are some falsehoods. Yeah, as well.
1: Well, speaking of which, uh, apparently <clears throat> there is a scene in the film in which uh, in which Rory Culkin's character Euronymous, points out that Varg is wearing a scorpion's patch. Yeah. Um, Which is quite an entertaining scene, uh, regardless of your opinions on the band Scorpions. Uh, however, they did actually sign off on that. So they got in contact with Scorpions and they were fine with them making a joke at their expense. However, that wasn't who was originally supposed to appear on that patch.
0: Oh, who was it?
1: So originally it was supposed to be your favourites, Motley Crue.
0: No way.
1: Yeah, to which Nicky Six actually turned around and denied them the rights to use that patch in the film. Um, however, Varg says that he's never been a fan of no. Scorpions. I don't know whether he ever said he was a fan of Motley Crue. I highly doubt it. And apparently he also says that he's never been in a threesome. Which yeah. is something that is very apparent in this film is Varg's sexual prowess, yeah. which I absolutely refuse get out to of to believe, here,
0: you whore. Yeah. <laughs> also, his chocolate milk drinking addiction is unsolicited.
1: <laughs> he should, yeah, he should. Um, we're gonna see like a, a range of Nesquik influence yeah. Varg. Yeah. yeah,
0: I don't think they're gunning for that uh, sponsorship though. <laughs> um, the. I thought it was quite Not funny. Not the chocolate how... flavour, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> he only does vanilla.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was kind of funny how they introduced Varg to the Black Circle, uh, as it were as well, um, being at the kebab shop, uh, whereas the real-life story was that he was already writing to Euronymous uh, And in touch with Mayhem, he was already in uh, Old Funeral, which ultimately became immortal Mm. uh, down the line. But instead, they introduced him as this feeble-minded outsider that wants in. And I think that would really get under Barg's skin. (laughs) So well done, Jonas, for that.
1: Um, So I did take a little time to go into the absolute filth hole that is the comment section in YouTube. Um, did you manage to find anything at all?
0: No, basically, uh, my takeaway from Consumer Reaction was that um Eklund was hardly in Bathory and Emery was fat.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so this from The Nightbringer, um, he says, the actor who played Varg looked like he ate Hieronymus. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> another one, uh, SKG3 says, uh, Dead probably saw this in the future and shot himself. Garfield, I don't know whether I can say that full word. Essentially, a lot of these individuals are not...
0: Keep them coming.
1: Yeah. Um, so another user said, uh, how long until Varg goes to America and kills the entire cast and crew in self-defense? <laughs> um, to which someone else replied, let's find out. <laughs>
0: oh, Jesus.
1: Um. Uh. Sean Wright, who wrote uh, Ben Shapiro destroys black metal nerds with facts by forcing them to watch Lords of Chaos. I don't even know how to pronounce that name. It says uh, Lords of Chaos is just black metal version of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Uh, Um, Coming of age movie. Yeah. Another says uh, whatever the satanic equivalent of blasphemy is, this is it.
0: That's a bit extreme.
1: Another one says Murderous Purpose 1 says inaccurate and totally not true. Spelt. (laughs) T-R-V-E. <laughs> uh, I think I, the
0: coroner <laughs> would suggest yeah. otherwise.
1: But I have to admit, I'll watch it. So people, I think, and that's that's another thing, I think everyone's going to bitch about this film, but everyone's going to watch it yeah. at some point. Yeah. The final thing, this is the worst thing that ever happened to the black metal scene since uh, John Nodvit's suicide in 2006. This is even worse than the murder of Euronymous in uh, the entire discography of Gorgorov combined. <laughs> Wow.
0: I mean, that Gogoroth discography is pretty shit. shit. (laughs) So what we can take away from that is, um, you're correct. That's right. Absolutely. Oh, it's worse. Yeah. This movie's better than (laughs) (laughs) Gogoroth.
1: So that was it. That was Lords of Chaos. Um, So people have been waiting for this film for a long time. Uh, I feel like it delivered a entertaining watch, um, and I will probably come back to it at some point. I feel that it is I think
0: I'd watch it yeah. again.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Why not? Fuck it.
1: Fuck it. Yeah. It all the time in the world. So, We're done.
0: Yeah. We are done. Thanks for listening.
1: Uh,
0: if you are. Uh,
1: <laughs> we are going to attempt to promote this slightly more going forward. Um, so where can people find us?
0: They can find us on Instagram at Eximferriss Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, again, Eximferriss Podcast. Uh, Facebook? Find, find us on Facebook, Eximferriss Podcast. Uh, is there any any other platform? You can find us on SoundCloud. They're hosting us now. Eximferriss uh, X Podcast. Podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Eximferriss
1: Podcast? podcast i can't believe how easy that was actually because that was the that was my everest climb was to get us on itunes but it's it was a relatively easy process Good. like if they're letting alex jones on there Good. then we're gonna weasel our way on there as well they can't they yeah. can't silence us
0: yeah all you have to do if you want to find x and ferris anywhere is just type in InfoWars. <laughs> <laughs> right that's it cool. thank you
1: thank you very much <laughs>